Hello friends, I want to say welcome to Vernonia Church and our online teaching time. My name is Sam and I'm the pastor here at Vernonia Church and I'm so glad that you've joined us as we're going to dive into this message today where we're going to talk about being unbuggable. We're in this uh, we're in this series where we're talking about greater love, the greater love that Jesus had, the greater love that he wants us to have. And today it's going to be all about greater love is unbuggable and it's going to be a great day. Hey, before we do anything else, I want to invite you to make sure that you hit like, make sure you hit subscribe, make sure you hit thumbs up, make sure that you are uh, hitting that sub notification bell. Make sure you're doing those things. That helps us reach as many people as we can with these teachings that we're putting out. We really want to see people come to know the truth of God's word. We want to see people come to know Jesus. Jesus together. And, and just by doing those things, it helps us get the message of the Word of God out to other people. And hopefully, even this message will help somebody learn how to love more in their home, or learn how to love their friends or their neighbors more, learn how to have just a more loving experience in life as they experience Jesus' love in their heart and as they share Jesus' love with others. So be sure to be uh, hitting those buttons. Be sure to leave uh, uh, reviews, you know, a good review so that other people can see that these are good teachings that will help them. Uh, and, and just be sure to be doing those things. And if you think we could uh, what we say today could be something that could help somebody that you love, that you care about, be sure to share it with them. Well, that said, uh, I want to dive into our teaching today. I want to uh, really look at what it means to be unbuggable, what it means to love with Jesus' love. But before we do that, let's pray. Let's invite Jesus to help us open our hearts to the truth of his love and how to show it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we come before you and we are so thankful that when it comes to us, you are unbuggable. That that God, there, that, that you leave us so much room for forgiveness. You leave us so much room for grace. That you're slow to anger and quick to love. That that you're slow to punish and quick to give forgiveness and grace. And God, you are just this amazingly unbuggable God. Uh, we are thankful that you're not. Uh, irritable with us, that you're not quick-tempered with us, that that you don't give us what we deserve, and so often what we deserve is, is for you just to bring the hammer down. And God, we're so grateful and thankful that you are forgiving and graceful, and we're thankful that we can know that grace in our lives and hearts. And so God, as we talk about loving, especially when it comes to loving the people in our lives, we pray that you will help us to be more unbuggable too. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Uh, okay, let's dive into the teaching today. We're going to talk about being unbuggable. Now I have this friend, his name's Dick Hallis. He's an older retired preacher uh, in uh, 1996, he was 
the preacher for one year here at Vernonia Church, and that's kind of how I made a connection with him. Uh, he was a preacher here, and actually our town flooded that year. Uh, we've had two major floods in our community, and in 1996 was one when he was here, and in 2007 was the other one, and I was here as the pastor. And Dick Hallis, he went from being the pastor here, he was waiting to get a job as a, a chaplain at Tuolity Hospital in Hillsboro, and he's since then retired, and him and his wife have moved out of their house, and they're in a home where, uh, you know, a care home, and uh, they're, they're just great people. Dick has called me regularly and encouraged me. He has shared with me his experiences in ministry and his wisdom, and one of the things that Dick loves to do is Dick is an incredible encourager. He loves to make people laugh. Uh, you'll, you'll pick up the phone before the days where it said, you know, who was calling. Uh, I would pick up the phone and answer, and what would happen is I would hear Donald Duck on the other side. Uh, he loves to do Donald Duck impression. He loves to, to, to talk, uh, you know, get you to laugh doing Donald Duck. He loves to tell you little jokes. He'll always give you quips and jokes. Well, at the end of every conversation we have, he always says something kind of encouraging. Uh, one of his favorite sign-offs is, uh, is keep looking up and keep marching on. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to think of that, that, that sign-off, you know, a time where you might be discouraged or frustrated or something's not going the way that you wish it would. And you have to remember to keep looking up and to keep marching on. Well, at the same time, uh, he has this other one that he'll sign off with and uh, he'll say, now remember, and he'll do it. Now, Dick has this ability to do sort of a... Uh, uh, well, uh, let's see how who, uh, a Paul Harvey kind of voice. Uh, he just he's got one of them really deep, booming voices, which goes well with his his big, strong body, you know. And and uh, and he would say, "Now remember, be neighborly and be unbuggable." <laughs> And, 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 you know, I don't know, maybe he knows me. Uh, maybe that's a special one for me to remember. Uh, because I think one thing he probably picked up from me is I can be buggable. Uh, I, I can be a person who gets bugged easy, you know, who, who gets irritated or frustrated e easily. And so maybe he's reminding me, remember, be neighborly and be unbuggable. Well, this morning, when we talk about love, we're continuing down in this series where we've been talking about greater love. And the Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 shares with us the attributes of greater love. Uh, we, we have seen that Paul will take the life and the ministry and the teachings of Jesus, the, the things that we can read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, the Gospels. Uh, Paul will take those teachings, he will summarize them, and all throughout Paul's writings, he's going to tell us how to apply them, how to put them to work in our life, how to emulate them, and that's what a lot of what the Apostle Paul would do, and in 1 Corinthians, he teaches us that 
among all the lessons that Jesus taught, among all the examples that Jesus gave, that we are supposed to remember to love above all else, we should be loving people. In fact, we might learn all the other lessons from Jesus, lessons of hope, lessons of, 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 of faith, lessons of boldness, lessons of truth, lessons of 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 just being amazing, filled with hope, filled with faith, filled with uh, religious experiences. And he's going to tell us, if I have all those things, but I don't have love, then I still have missed the lesson of Jesus' life. And so he's going to tell us to love. And, and, and he tells us that love is the greatest of these. And in 1 Corinthians 13, chapter or chapter 13, verses 4 to 5, he's going to start to give us the attributes of that love. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 5, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of wrongs. Well, I want to do something. I know I can't see if you do this with me, but I'm just going to read off each section and encourage you to say it out loud with me. Love is patient and kind. Go ahead and say it. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. Well, when I read those last those last three statements there, we've covered we, we've covered the others already in the last few messages. If you missed those, you can catch up with them online. You can catch up with them on our YouTube channel. Uh, but when I read those last three, what I see is this list of things that love does not do. And, and I, think of, I think of Dick Hallis and how he says, remember, be neighborly and be unbuggable. Because those all sound like things that you would do if you're not buggable, right? Uh, you're not going to be demanding your own way. You're not going to be irritable and easily irritated. It, you're not going to keep a record of wrongs. You're unbuggable. Buggable. You have this, you just bounce off the idea of getting bugged. You know, that's just not who you are. Uh, I can't think of what he said there. And especially when I think of how easily buggable we can be. I mean, imagine you're, you're in the middle of something important. Your mind is somewhere else and someone interrupts what you're doing or they interrupt your train of thought with a question or they ask you to do something else. And, and Immediately, at least my experience, immediately you, you feel bugged, you feel irritated because, man, I, I was busy with something, I was on a roll, and you just interrupted, you know, uh, we can get buggable that way. Or, or, or someone asks you to help them out or to think about something when you don't have the energy to do it, or, or, or maybe you had an agenda for your day and something interrupted that agenda for your day and it derailed your plans and, and it bugged you. You, uh, uh, just tell me if if this list maybe 
is a list that you might find uh, that that you might find you kind of get bugged by these things. How about this? Uh, number one, someone is always using their phone. When you're talking to them, they're using their phone. When you're you're interacting with them, they're texting and looking at their phone. Uh, when you're <clears throat> when you're at the table eating, their phone is always on and they're always constantly looking at it. Even if they put it to the side of their plate and turn it over, their attention is still connected to that phone. And, uh, and, and you can't really have this experience with them at the table or you're watching a movie together or you're watching a show together and everybody's looking at their phone uh, I don't know about you but is that something that maybe you find buggable uh, or, or that bugs you I know I know that I can I can have the tendency to feel that way about it uh, or they always maybe they don't have their phone there but they have the equivalent of their phone there because what what they do is they take they take their their Apple Watch, you know, and and they're constantly looking at their Apple Watch. Uh, you, you, you know, it reminds you of the old days when someone just constantly looked at their phone to see how long you, or at their watch to see how long you were going to have to be together. Or how, when is this over, you know? And and but they're looking at it because they're getting texts or they're they're flipping through Facebook on their phone or uh, through their watch. I don't know. Is that something that bugs you? I would tell you that that is like really high. On on my buggable uh, radar, you know. And how about this one? Someone who uses all caps, and usually they don't just stop there. They'll add three exclamation marks and two question marks, or or some mixture of the above. You know, usually someone who's doing that is someone who's older. Maybe they don't realize what they're doing. Uh, that they don't realize that what they're doing is screaming on uh, in text. You know, constantly. Uh, and or maybe it's someone that knows that's what they're doing and that's the effect they're going for. But I don't I don't know about you. But is that something that bugs you or that can irritate you? How about this? Someone who doesn't wash their hands as they leave a public restroom. Yuck. Those people are monsters. How about this one? Someone who puts the empty milk jug back in the refrigerator or they put the empty jelly jar back in the refrigerator or they... Or they put the empty ketchup or, or the empty mustard and they're just too lazy to throw it out. They just put it right back in the refrigerator. Is that something that can like increase your bugability? How about this one? Someone who doesn't replace the toilet paper roll with a full toilet paper roll in the bathroom. Or maybe they just put it on top and they don't actually put it on. Or worse, they put it on backwards, whichever way is right for you. Uh, can, can that be something that you find buggable. Uh, how about this one? Someone who uses both armrests on the on the airplane. You know, uh, you, you, you sit down and there's someone there that that's going to stuff and shove their elbows on both armrests. Uh, those folks are monsters too, right? Uh, is that something that can bug you? Uh, or, or someone maybe who eats loudly? Uh, someone who taps their foot loudly or has some nervous tick like clicking a pencil over and over or a pen over and over again? Uh, or, or, or someone who sings into the microphone when you're in a party group chat? Uh, whatever 
whatever it is, uh, can that be something that maybe bugs you? Uh, or how about this? Someone who mumbles in a conversation and who won't look at you when you talk to them, and, and then they'll complain that you're not listening. Or how about this? Someone who's pressuring you to do something you don't want to do, but they want done, and, uh, and, and you find that maybe that bugs you. Or someone who throws stuff your way, or uh, throws stuff away that's yours without ever asking. Uh, I, I don't know. The, these are things that came off lists I found about uh, things that bug people. Uh, I found them on lists. I, I just did a quick Google. I was curious, you know, what are the top 10 things that bug people? And so I did like a Google search for that. And what I found, even though I was just looking for top 10, is that there's no top 10 lists. Instead, what there are, are lists like the 50 things you do that drive people crazy that you don't know about, or the 100 things that you do that, uh, that bug people. And I noticed that the lists, they weren't 10 things, they weren't 15, they were all 100 things. In fact, the shortest list I could find was 23 more things that you do that bug people around you. Well, wow. Okay. So, so what that tells me is we are buggable people. You know, we, we get bugged by the simplest little, the easiest little things. And Paul is going to teach us here that love is patient, love is kind, it does not boast, it does not envy, it is not proud, and, uh, and it isn't demanding, it isn't irritable, and it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And love is unbuggable. So maybe you and I today can dive into this teaching and learn a little bit more about how to be less buggable, how to be unbuggable. And let's start out with this one. Well, the first way that we we are going to be unbuggable is that we're going to be giving rather than demanding. If you're writing down any notes, this would be a good one to write down. I, I need to be giving rather than demanding. Usually, buggable people are very demanding people. Uh, usually the things that bug us are things that uh, aren't living up to our demands uh, or, or, or things that are demanding more from us than we would like. In other words, we are sort of self-seeking, self-serving. You may have heard of the old story of how it's kind of a joke, how God was having a conversation with Adam before he created Eve. God was talking to Adam, and, and he's telling Adam about how he was going to create a helper for him. And Adam is, is, sounded, is saying, man, this sounds great. You're going to make this, this helper who's going to be a helpmate, who's going to connect with me, who's going to be a part of me. And he says, what's this going to cost me, God? And God says, well, I'm sorry to tell you, but this is going to cost you an arm and a leg. And, and Adam says, whoa, whoa, well, how about this? What can I get for a rib? <laughs> well, uh, love is not demanding, and, and love is, is giving rather than self-seeking. Uh, love is, is willing to give a little more than a rib. I mean, that's just a joke. We know the real story is God actually put Adam to sleep and made woman out of the rib and, uh, and gave him this gift. And he said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And he kind of, that was his way of going, ooh, la, la, right? He was excited about this woman. Well, I had 
add another uh, another story just so that the just so that uh, women can feel uh, good about uh, about this too. I, I heard a story about a panel of women who were debating about what the perfect man would be. You know, who out there is the perfect man? And what what they came up with wasn't what you would think. I mean, it wasn't some famous actor or some some wealthy tycoon. It wasn't, you know, Aquaman and and it wasn't uh, it it wasn't uh, uh, you know, just someone with lots and lots of money. But the final conclusion that the panel came up with was that the perfect man was Mr. Potato Head. Uh, their reasoning was this, that, uh, well, he's tan, and he's cute, and he knows the importance of accessorizing, and, uh, and, and if he looks at another girl, well, you can rearrange his face. <laughs> well, well, so, so love is not demanding, it's, it's giving. And when we're buggable, it's usually because we're demanding. In a, we, in a way, demand that people don't do things that bug us, and, and we demand that people do things or that they act in such a way that we can accept and and we demand that they conform and instead of giving them room you know we demand that they fall in line with our expectations we demand that they that they speak right they, they we demand that they don't interrupt us we, we get demanding and and we demand that they serve us rather than we serve them and Paul will say love does not demand it its own way. The word here is a word that means to be self-seeking. Uh, there's a heavy emphasis here on the idea of seeking. When we're demanding like this, we're someone who's incredibly concerned with always seeking, always looking, always looking for uh, demanding our own way or getting our own way. In 1 Corinthians 10, 24, it says, nobody should seek his own good but seek the good of others. In 1 Corinthians 10.33, Paul will say, I have been doing what I'm trying to teach you to do. He will say, I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that many can be saved. In other words, I'm trying to, I'm trying to give to others and be giving rather than demanding. And when Jesus teaches us to love, it's a love that's less demanding. You know, Jesus said, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it's usually people uh, who try to make that yoke heavier. But Jesus said, I'm going to be less demanding than most people. And there are all kinds of things about each one of us that Jesus could have been demanding about, that Jesus could say to us, that bugs me. You know, there are all kinds of places in my life and in your life where Jesus could just say, you bug me, you're out. But he doesn't. Instead, he's giving. He gives us room. He gives us a lighter burden. He gives us the ability to come and, and to know him. And, and he still loves us. He still dies for us. He still wants us to be his own. And, and, and so he shows us that instead of being buggable, instead of being demanding, that he is giving and he turns around and he says to us I want you to learn to love like me and I want you to be giving and less demanding to be unbuggable 
Well, the next one you might write down is this, that if I'm going to be unbuggable, I need to be patient and not irritable. I don't know about you, but I can have irritable days. Uh, most mornings, to be honest with you, I wake up kind of irritable. I'm a, I'm a grumpy morning guy. I'm just going to be honest with you about that. Uh, until I've had my second cup of coffee, I'm usually pretty grumpy. I, I wake up and, and Carrie will ask me, what's wrong with you? And, and to me, it's a perfectly reasonable answer to say, it's morning. You know, I'm, I don't, I wake up early a lot, but I don't wake up early and chipper and cheery. That's just not me. It takes me a while to sort of get there on Sunday mornings when I stand up to preach and smile and say, welcome and, uh, and all that. I've already been through cups of coffee. I've already had hours to sort of get up and get awake and get going. I just need that. I'm, I'm sort of irritable in the morning and, uh, and, and, and sort of grumpy but what I want to share with you is this that what we're talking about here the idea of patient not irritable it's a little bit more than being just grumpy in the morning uh, the, the word here not irritable means that you're not easily angered uh, it carries with it the idea of someone who's quickly or easily feeling greatly distressed and easily provoked and and someone who's explosive uh, when we love people uh, we are good-natured and don't have uh, don't have hot tempers with them we don't have easy tantrums we don't fly off the handle towards them uh, we are easier to live with when you're someone who's hard to live with it makes people who love you want to run away and it makes you someone who's uncomfortable to be around now oh, my mom and dad uh, they just celebrated their 50th anniversary their their golden anniversary they, they celebrated it they went up to the adirondack mountains in in upstate new york uh, they went to a cabin in a little town it's the same little town that they were uh, that they went to on their honeymoon. So 50 years later, they came around and, they, and they, they were able to enjoy a special week together there in the mountains. And, and, uh, and it was good for them, you know. What, a, what an accomplishment to be married in today's world and today's culture for 50 years together. And, 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 and you don't get to 50 years without some struggle without the ability to be a little less irritable without the ability to be forgiving and let some things go or to give and take i recently heard a, a story about a man who celebrated his golden anniversary with his spouse and he was being interviewed for a local paper about it and the interviewer asked him what do you attribute the the longevity longevity of your marriage to you know what what has kept your marriage in good health all these years well the old man said my wife and i made an agreement early in our marriage uh, that that whenever we would get into an argument or a fight, that I would leave the house and I would go for a walk in the woods uh, to give us both the opportunity to cool 
off. And so that was the strategy. And then the man sighed and, and he said, and I've been living the outdoor life ever since. <laughs> well, well, the book of Proverbs, it's a book of sayings that a father will write to his son about life, about relationships. He will give him a lot of advice about finance and money and working with people. You'll give them advice about uh, marriage and advice about relationships, uh, you know, with with your spouse or your to-be spouse and what kind of things to look for in people. And he will say some things about when you choose the wrong person or he will say some things about what's more important. And what I want you to hear as I do this is he does say, you know, talk about a wife and the reason he's talking about a wife is because he's talking to his son about his future wife or spouse or the person he's looking for but you could almost hear some of what he says in proverbs just the other way around if he was speaking to his daughter uh, he could replace the word wife with husband and and still get to the same truth in proverbs 21 9 solomon will say to his son he will say it is better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. Uh, and you could, again, hear that just the opposite way around. Young ladies, it would be better for you to live alone in a corner of an attic uh, than with a quarrelsome husband in a, in a beautiful house. In Proverbs 15, 17, it says, Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than with a fattened calf with hatred now he wasn't writing to uh, to vegetarians or vegans who would actually love that statement but what he was saying is better to have just vegetables than with love than than the biggest fattest prime rib dinner uh, in a setting where there's hatred for one another. In Proverbs 17, 1, he says, Better a dry crust eaten in peace than a house filled with feasting and conflict and strife. In other words, what he's telling his son is that what looks like the good life, the best of life, having the best and the most uh, uh, wonderful looking spouse and the most successful and wealthy spouse and the biggest and the, the most beautiful home and house and, and the most luxurious home and having a table filled with the best and most healthy and the most choice of, of foods with lots of feasting and having all the nicest toys and going to the nicest restaurants. It's all worthless when there is quarreling and strife and filled with irritability, a house filled with irritability. And, uh, and, 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 and when this home is just consumed with constant quarreling, hate, hatred, strife, and conflict. The word here, the word provoked, uh, let us not confuse it, though, with the idea that, uh, that you're never provoked. The word here in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, love is not easily provoked. Love is not 
easily irritated. Love is not irritable. It doesn't just fly off the handle. It's not easily angered. But there is a time uh, where we could say there's an appropriate level of being provoked. It doesn't mean you're never provoked. It doesn't mean you're never angry or irritated. There is a time to be provoked. Uh, the only other time this word is used in scripture, it describes someone who was provoked. In fact, uh, it was the apostle Paul. It will use this word in Acts 17, and it will say Paul was greatly distressed. Here's our idea of provoked. It's just translated to another word. Paul was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Well, what were the things that angered or provoked or irritated Paul? Well, idol worship was one of them. Hypocrisy among Christians would be one of them. Uh, extreme sinfulness in the church would be one of them. These things irritated and distressed him. Uh, one time Paul confronted the apostle Peter who was giving in to a temptation to, uh, of hypocrisy. Uh, Peter was giving in to the temptation to please the people around him and ignore other people who needed the message of the gospel. And in Galatians chapter 2, Paul will say in, in a conflict with him, he will say, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly wrong. Uh, and, and sometimes people assume that just because you say you're a Christian that you're going to be a pushover. Uh, they assume that because you say you're a Christian or, or my family's Christian or I'm a pastor or my family's, uh, you know, a, a family in ministry that we're going to be pushovers, that if we get angry, we're in the wrong. But no, there is a time and a place and a reason to be angry, just not easily angry angry, just not easily provoked, just not constantly provoked. And being a Christian who loves doesn't mean that we're spineless and we have no backbone, uh, but we should stand a little different than the world stands. While the world gets angry quickly, while the world is selfish and demanding its own way, Paul was getting angry over rebellion. And even God, who says he is slow to anger, still gets angry. Talking to the rebellious people of Israel. God once said, you aroused the Lord's wrath so that he was angry enough to destroy you. In Isaiah 65, 3, he describes rebellious people saying this, these people continually provoke me to my very face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on altars of brick. In other words, they're doing things in their own way, in their own place, and they're worshiping other gods, and they're provoking me. Uh, but love, uh, God's love, even though it does get angry, it is slow to anger. It does get angry eventually, but, uh, but it takes a long time and a lot of work and a lot of effort to get God to that angry place. But when we're quick to anger, it can cause sharp disputes and broken relationships. It can cause a broken church. It can cause a broken ministry. It can cause a, a broken job opportunity or a broken family or a broken relationship. Even Paul experienced what this kind of, uh, of, of, 
of easily angered experience can be. There's a word that, that's similar to our word that we're talking about here. It's used in Acts chapter 15 to describe what happened between Paul and a friend of his, a partner in ministry of his named Barnabas. In Acts chapter 15 verse 39, it says that they had such a sharp disagreement that they had to part company. And what was the disagreement about? Well, the apostle Paul, you know, or you probably know was a missionary and he organized and he went on these mission trips and a lot of times I think people assume that Paul was sort of willy-nilly jumping on a boat and let's go over here and let's go over there but uh, but you don't take a trip that takes months and months and months willy-nilly you know uh, he, he planned these trips out he chose his employees you know you, you got to remember Paul was in a lot of ways self-supporting. And so Paul is working hard on one side and had a business on one side and his business was paying for these trips. And so Paul is hiring people to come and help him and come and work with him. And, and then on the last trip, he hired Barnabas and Barnabas had this friend, a relative, John Mark. And John Mark came along and, and while they're out working, John Mark just abandoned the trip and abandoned the work and and this time around he doesn't want to bring John Mark I mean it costs a lot of money it takes a lot of food it takes a lot of resources to bring someone along on these long trips across the ocean and and across land and sea and why would you invest in bringing someone who's just going to up and abandon and leave the work hanging and so Paul tells Barnabas that it would be unwise to bring John Mark well Barnabas his name means an encourager and he being the encourager probably said something like well you're being unkind you're being unforgiving you know you should bring John Mark and and he won't do it this time and Paul is probably saying no uh, it would be unwise to try to rely on that because just you know a year ago he showed how unreliable he is so they had this sharp dispute I don't know who had the who had the, the 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 quick to anger attitude? I don't know if it was this was a moment where Paul was kind of going back on his own teaching and needing to kind of learn, or if it was Barnabas that was getting sharply disputing. It does take two to have a disagreement, but whatever it was, their their disagreement was so sharp that they had to part company, and it ruined their friendship and their relationship. And Paul refused to hire one, and he lost two. Uh, and eventually they did kind of restore that relationship and friendship. It looks like they even worked together again later on in the future. But at this point, we see that, that being easily angered and irritable, it can cause, it can cause divisions. It can cause, uh, it can cause a, a broken relationship, a, a working relationship or friendship or or uh, or even a marriage and so love is not irritable love is patient with the people around them paul says love is not easily angered in ephesians chapter 4 he says this always be humble and gentle 
Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7, it says this, When people's lives please the Lord, even their enemies will be at peace with them. Now, I don't necessarily think that's an altruism. In other words, I don't think that's meant to be sort of a, this is always the way it goes, because Jesus' life pleased the Lord more than anybody, and his enemies killed him. And so, uh, so there is a sense to where the enemies of God might not be at peace with him. But when you're living a life that pleases the Lord, uh, you will be able to even uh, keep your enemies in a place where they could generally be at peace with you. And so being unbuggable, it takes being giving and not demanding. It takes being patient and, and not irritable. And, and the, the third thing, you might write this down, that being unbuggable means I am forgiving and not keeping. I am forgiving and not keeping. Even in the case between Paul and Barnabas, the two of them did again later work together. They, they got over it and they moved on. Paul didn't hold on to it. Uh, Barnabas didn't hold on to it, and, and eventually they, they were restored. Uh, but if you want a quick recipe in how to ruin a relationship, if you want a quick recipe in how not to love, then uh, here's what you do. Uh, pull out a pad of paper, get like one of those notebooks, maybe a manila folder, and keep a list of everything everyone has ever done. Uh, keep a record of every little thing. Uh, maybe you could get real fancy and pull out, you know, your Excel and, and make yourself an Excel spreadsheet and and like you would with a tr uh, a business, you know, to keep a, a ledger of, of purchases and, and a ledger of, of expenditures. And, and, you know, what you're going to do is make this list, but put on one side the name of the person wronging you. Maybe you make one for each name for, for, for each person. Write down uh, in a category where you can put down what they have done to you to wrong you. Uh, put down uh, whether it was lying, whether it was cheating, wh whether it was, you know, stealing, whether it was they said something not nice, whether they called you a name, whether they looked at you funny, and just keep record of all of it and, and keep it. You know, don't ever erase anything from it or take anything away from it. And maybe you could even make a category that says what they owe you. What you think they owe you because of what they did. Whether it's they owe you money, whether it's they owe you some emotional pain, whether they owe you... And you might think, I, I sound silly right now, don't I? And yet, a lot of us have this mental version of that. Uh, we might not have the Excel spreadsheet, but, but we have a mental version. Here's what this person did. Here's what they owe me. And so I'm going to punish them with my, with, with, with my guilt. I'm going to punish them with my, my grudge against them, you know, until they feel the pain I want them to feel. Uh, I, I, I re recently read a quote that said, when you hold a grudge, you want someone else's sorrow to reflect the level of hurt 
that you have, but the two almost never meet. I heard about a married couple who had their marriage explode after 40 years. It was destroyed because they were practicing exactly what we're talking about here. They began writing down every wrong. Uh, they began to to put it down, but they, they never, ever let anything go. And after 40 years of marriage, their marriage was destroyed. When Paul says here, love keeps no record of wrongs, he's using an accounting word. It's a word from the banking world, the financial world. It's a word from the, the business world. And, and it literally was a word that was referring to keeping a ledger or keeping a notebook of purchases and, and sales. It was written down so that it wouldn't be forgotten. And we kind of do that. In our interactions with others, we might think, well, is this person in the black with me? You know, does this person have, have credit with me? Uh, do they have positive credit with me? And, and if they do, then I'll be unbuggable. But the moment we feel like they're in the red with us, that they owe us something, the moment we are holding a grudge and we're irritable and, and we're extra demanding because we feel like they're in the red with us and we're going to make them suffer or they're going to make them pay an emotional debt until we feel satisfied that, that they brought themselves back up at least to zero with us or into the black. And... That's the idea that, that Paul is saying. Listen, love keeps no record of wrongs. I can't think of a better story in the Bible to describe this kind of love than the story of Joseph. Now, Joseph was the son of Jacob, who was the son of Abraham. Uh, and, uh, and Joseph was, was one of... Well, he had 11 brothers, and Joseph was kind of a punk kid when he was younger. Uh, Joseph was his dad's favorite, and he knew it, and he made sure everyone else knew it. And Joseph thought, well, I'm destined for great things, and so Joseph always bragged or boasted, or, or he kind of put it in his brother's face about the great things he was going to accomplish, and the great things he was going to do, and who he was going to be, and his brothers were incredibly jealous of him, and they hated him. So much so that one day they took him out, and uh, with the intention of murdering him, telling their his father that he was eaten by wild animals, they ended up throwing him into a well to die and, and 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 in the process they decided instead of killing him they would sell him there were some traders coming by and they decided to sell him into slavery to some traders and Joseph's life and story is fascinating as you read through the Old Testament stories of his life you see that he goes through all kinds of trials all kinds of things where he just seems to get the short end of the stick all the way through the story 
And God will use those moments to sort of mold him, to teach him, to bring him around to a place of humility. Joseph will go from being sold into slavery to being sold uh, as a slave in the house of a very wealthy man to where he's going to be wrongly accused and put into jail, put into prison. God will work with him while he's in jail and in prison. And, and he, will, he will help some people out saying, don't forget me when when you're out well they will get out and they will forget about him and and he will go through this series of events that eventually leads him to stand before the pharaoh of egypt and pharaoh of egypt is so pleased with him and and is so amazed by his wisdom that the pharaoh of egypt puts him as the as the second in command in all of Egypt. Now, at that time, Egypt was like the the United States. Uh, Egypt was the most powerful uh, military force in the world. Egypt was the most wealthy. Egypt was the most uh, uh, influential country or, or kingdom in all of the world at the time. So Joseph became the second most powerful man in the world. Joseph would lead the Egypt through a time of of um, abundance. He would lead Egypt through this time, knowing that there was a tough time on the horizon. They stored food. They got ready because God had sort of led Joseph in a, in a vision to know that there was a time of famine coming. Well, he prepared Egypt for it, and the famine came. Uh, Egypt was the only place that had food because they had put food in storage. And so people were coming from all over the world to come get help from Egypt. And lo and behold, Hold Joseph's brothers come asking for food. Now, when they sold Joseph into slavery, he was a 17-year-old punk kid. They probably assumed he was gone and dead, and they'd never hear from him again. But Joseph, uh, Joseph sees them and recognizes them and knows who they are. They don't know who he is. They come, grovel before him, ask him for food. He reveals his identity to them. They're afraid that he's going to want revenge and get revenge. He promises them that he won't do anything uh, because of his father. He ends up moving them to a place in Egypt and caring for them and giving them uh, the food they need. When their father died, again, the brothers were afraid. Now he's going to take his revenge. And we come to Genesis chapter 15, uh, 50, verse 19, and it says this, but Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? And so often that needs to be the way we look at our conflicts. Uh, that's the way we need to be when we look at the record of wrongs. Joseph says, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? And then in Genesis 50, 20, he says, uh, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. He came a long way from being that young punk who was 17 years old. Now we see probably a 46-year-old, 50-year-old uh, uh, Joseph who's let go of even that level of being wronged. And, and he grew. 
He learned not to hold a grudge to show the love of God, even to his, his family who had turned on him. Because being unbuggable means keeping no record of wrongs. It means being forgiven. It means being uh, giving rather than demanding. It means being patient and not irritable. And, and it means uh, being forgiving and not keeping. Because that's exactly what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? Uh, Jesus has been unbuggable with you and me. He loves us with this incredible love, this unbuggable love. He invites us to ask him for forgiveness. He invites us to ask him for grace. He goes to a cross, gives his life so that we can be made new in him because he's an unbuggable God who still loves us. And he wants you to love your spouse with that unbuggable love. He wants you to love your friends with that unbuggable love. He wants you to love your family with that unbuggable love. He wants you to love your neighbors. And he wants you to remember, as my friend would say, be neighborly and be unbuggable. I'd like to invite you to join me in prayer. Let's ask God to help us be more like him. Father in heaven, uh, we want to pray that you will help us to be unbuggable too. We're so thankful for Jesus, for his death on the cross. Jesus, we, we want to we wanna receive your grace in our life. We want to ask you to forgive us for the many sins and the many things and the many things that we've done that, that we know are should be it could be irritations to you and yet and they they should be and they could be things on on your list of of all the offenses that we have that that we have gathered up on our ledgers and yet god you're willing to forgive each and every one of them by the blood of christ on the cross and god uh, we we receive your grace in our life. We lay our sins in our list before the cross, knowing you forgive. And God, I pray that we would be also able to do the same with the people in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all said together, amen. Well, I want to say thank you for joining me this morning as we've gone through this teaching together of being unbuggable. Uh, I want to invite you to make sure you come back next week where we're going to continue this series talking about the love of Jesus. And, uh, and, and I want to encourage you to, uh, to, to this week be unbuggable with the people in your life. If you're here this morning and uh, you're someone who's been supporting Vernonia Church in this online ministry, I want to make sure I say thank you to you. Thank you to all of you who've been supporting what we've been doing. If you'd like to join us in supporting this ministry, if you'd like to be a part of it, you can do that at any time. There's a link below that you can hit that will take you to our online page where you can click uh, give and uh, and and there you could set up giving in any way shape or form you can give just a little bit you could give like a dollar a week a dollar a message you could you could give more significantly to that uh, you're all welcome to join us in being a part of supporting what we're doing here i do want to make sure i say a big thank you to all of you who are doing that your giving is making a difference because we're making a difference in our community 
Uh, also, want to just uh, finish up this morning by praying for Vernonia Church together. I want to invite you to pray for this ministry, pray for the online outreach, uh, pray that we as a church can continue to do the work that God wants us to do. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray for Vernonia Church. God, we ask your blessing on this church. We ask your guidance for this church. We ask that you would help us to reach new people for Christ. We ask that you would help us do the work that you want us to do and we pray these things in the name of jesus amen well let's finish up this morning by declaring it's been a great day on the count of three you ready one two three it's been a great day i hope you have a great week and i look forward to seeing you next sunday